welcome to Inclusive Occupations, sharing stories of not just being invited to the party, but dancing. I'm your host, Savita Sundar. I'm a school-based occupational therapist. This podcast is a space for OTs and others who work with children and youth in education to be informed, inspired, and empowered to create an inclusive community for the students they serve. Welcome to the final episode of season one of Inclusive Occupations. I would like to end this season with a topic that is quite near and dear to my heart. And the topic is compassion. Now I read this uh, definition of compassion, a quote actually by Thomas Merton, which uh, says, compassion is the keen awareness of the interdependence of all things. Nothing can be more close to the concept of inclusion. And I think it's the core, compassion is the core of inclusion. And it is in fact, the very um, core of our existence as a species. In fact, uh, I am not sure if you already know this, but you may have heard this phrase, survival of the fittest, often attributed to Charles Darwin. But Charles Darwin did not say that. In fact, in his words, let me read it as he had in his um, book, for those communities which included the greatest number of the most sympathetic members would flourish best and rear the greatest number of offsprings. So he pretty much underlines that compassion is the essential ingredient for our success as humanity. So um, as part of my doctoral work, I took a class on neuroscience last semester and with my interest in inclusion I decided to look into the neuroscience of prosociality basically what happens in the brain when people act voluntarily to benefit others it was indeed quite fascinating to learn how much social neuroscience has advanced in this area of compassion prosociality empathy altruism um, especially in the recent past and we know so much than we did before Um, And as always, it takes an average of, I guess, 10 years for all that research to trickle down to practice. Well, today we have an expert on the topic of compassion. He is one of the few people out there who is pursuing a career of bringing all the science and understanding about compassion to the workplace as a teachable and learnable skill. A little bit about our guest, Dr. Emmanuel Joseph has a PhD in biochemistry, and he worked as a cancer drug discovery scientist uh, for many years. And after 12 years of being in science, he went through a soul search and a life change and moved on to studying and teaching compassion. He has authored several books and peer-reviewed publications and articles, and his most recent book is called Fifth Revolution, Reinventing Workplace Happiness, Health, and Engagement Through Compassion. He has taught compassion skills in several organizations, including Amazon, Box, HSBC, Salesforce, and many more. He is the founder of Compassion Leaders, whose mission is to bring compassion skilling to workplaces. Emmanuel is also a life coach, and I have to tell you that almost everything I have learned about compassion is from him, because he is also my husband. 
Welcome, Emmanuel, to Inclusive Occupations. I'm so glad to have you as the final guest of the season. How would you explain compassion to someone? First off, Savita, thank you for having me here. And congratulations on completing a full season of podcasts. So that's a wonderful thing. All right, compassion. To me, compassion is simply caring in action. It's simply the ability to see that there is a challenge and ask, how am I going to overcome this challenge? Right. So that is caring in action. Scientists classify this as a four-step process. It is noticing suffering. It's feeling for the sufferer and suspending judgment. And finally, the intent to step into action. To me, that is compassion. That is, um, that's very beautifully put. So it's a four-step process. Um, first is noticing suffering, um, feeling for the sufferer, suspending judgment, and having an intention to do something about it. It's beautiful. So I also see that the, the words like empathy, sympathy, altruism, compassion, kindness, they are all kind of very related and used interchangeably. How would you say they differ? You're absolutely right. I mean, these words, um, they are ancient words and, and they have been used in so many contexts over so many cultures and generations. So it's, it's difficult to kind of tease them out. Mm-hmm. But I do have a working uh, separation of these terminologies. And I use an example to explain that. So imagine you're walking on a road and it's just you and a friend and there is a pit in the middle of the road and your friend falls into the pit. And if you just ignore your friend and you go on your own way because it's not your problem, you're exhibiting apathy. But, But imagine you look down into the pit with probably some level of judgment and you feel sorry for this person. You say, oh, I'm so sorry for you and I wish things were better for you. But you're not doing anything about it. You're just walking away from that place. That's sympathy. That's what you see a lot in in the Facebook posts and Mm -hmm. social media posts, right? People Mm -hmm. express, oh, I'm so sorry for you. But there is no uh, expression of of alleviating that suffering, no action there. Mm -hmm. That's sympathy. Mm -hmm. Or you feel so much for that person, for your friend, and you feel the appropriate thing is to experience that pain yourself. So in this case, you jump into the pit and you are now in the same situation as your friend. You have lost your ability to help your friend. You have disempowered yourself. To me, that is empathy. And empathy and compassion are the two words that are so commonly intertwined, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, But there is a completely different neural network that goes with empathy there's a different neural network that goes with compassion Uh but compassion however it's about action so compassion is saying i'm noticing my friend has fallen into the pit and i'm seeing that they are in trouble and i see that none of my previous experiences with him or her is going to block my view about why i want to help him or her and then finally i say let me run because I cannot jump into the pit and save this person, but I can go to the nearby village, get a ladder, and come back. So there's an intent to step into action that's going to alleviate that suffering. So that is compassion. 
That is such a beautiful analogy to explain the differences, Emmanuel. Thank you so much. And I, um, I really like how you differentiated empathy and compassion because empathy does not have that action, action um, factor that compassion has where you actually do something to alleviate the suffering. That's beautiful. Absolutely. And if I can also add, you also asked about altruism. Mm -hmm. um, the difference between altruism and compassion in my mind mm -hmm. is that there is an element of self-compassion built into the compassion process. Mm -hmm. Whereas altruism is when you give at the cost of your own self mm -hmm. and it's therefore not sustainable. But what differentiates compassion from empathy and altruism is that you are able to sustain the action because you are not so emotionally invested that you have become part of that pain or suffering. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, so okay. I think that's a beautiful thing about compassion, that you do not experience compassion fatigue. Mm -hmm. You experience empathic distress, but you do not experience compassion fatigue. Wow, okay. So I, I have seen this uh, term used quite often, compassion fatigue, but you are saying that it's empathy fatigue or empathic distress that is often mistakenly used for compassion fatigue absolutely i love it i love it and i think that goes hand in hand with what you just explained how in the brain um there are different networks that are activated with empathy and compassion that's, absolutely that's wonderful i i'm able to resonate with this because when i was doing my um, neuroscience course and looking through a bunch of articles on this topic um, it, it really uh, mentioned about empathy being more related to a negative, having more of a negative affect and compassion um, where they talked more about the, the meta meditation or the compassion, loving kindness meditation that had more of a positive affect. People felt happy when they engaged in compassion um, related thinking, whereas when they tried to feel with the sufferer, they and and they um felt more of a negative um affect had more of a negative affect in the process that's great um so emmanuel this podcast is about inclusion and it just seems quite intuitive that compassion is foundational to inclusion how would you situate compassion and inclusion you know i think the very definition of compassion is is about breaking barriers that separate you and i the very idea of compassion. Compassion is, is simply means to suffer with. So nobody suffers alone. I am with you in your suffering, right? That is what compassion is saying. Uh, so that's the name, that's the explanation for the word? Yeah. Compassion. Passion is suffering. Calm is to be with. Uh -huh. To be with suffering is, to com is compassion. Okay. When you think of um, the idea of compassion, in that sense, it is all about connection. You mentioned the loving kindness or the meta meditation, mm -hmm. right? And if, can if you, you tell us a little bit about um, our listeners about the loving kindness meditation? Absolutely. Okay. So meta is a Pali word. It simply means loving kindness or friendship. Mm -hmm. And what that says is, it is it's a call for recognizing our innate ability to give wishes of happiness and love and joy and everything that matters for ourselves and in an ever-expanding circle to the world around us. So for example, a simple meta meditation would, would start with oneself or with somebody that you really love and say, I wish this person to be happy because they deserve to be happy. I deserve them to be 
you know, to experience joy and fulfillment and meaning and all of that stuff, right? And then you wish that for yourself. Mm -hmm. And then you spread that message out, that that wishes out to a stranger and to a person that you dislike or who's causing you discomfort, mm -hmm. and then to the world at large. Now, what you're doing here is like layers of an onion. You are expanding your circle of love to the to encompass the world. Mm -hmm. And when you're doing that, you're saying, irrespective of how they are outside, extra how their behaviors are, how they are um, capable in, in, in any way, you're saying that I still want them to experience the same things that I want for myself. Mm -hmm. This is where the inclusion happens. Mm -hmm. This is where you're saying, that I'm able to look past mm -hmm. the abilities of people and include them as my own mm -hmm. because that is innately my nature to do so. So that is why I think compassion is the umbrella mm -hmm. under which the idea of inclusion uh, can shelter. Okay. So, Emmanuel, your profession is basically teaching compassion skills, right? Helping and right. this is in workplaces where people spend the majority of their time. I wonder, are are some people just born more compassionate, or do they, or is it something that they can be, uh, that they can learn? Is it something that can be taught? Because I know you believe that it can be taught, uh, but I just wonder if some people just innately are more compassionate than others. So yeah, uh, you are right. There are elements, uh, genetic elements, uh, that make some people more compassionate than others, mm -hmm. naturally. Mm -hmm. For example, the ability to produce oxytocin um, defines how much more you are oriented towards, uh, you know, connection and, and compassion in some ways. Yeah. But that's only a small part of of your compassion behaviors, because compassion, again, like you pointed out, can be uh, quite successfully learned. And uh, there are uh, a whole number of ways, including the loving kindness meditation. Mm -hmm. But under that umbrella of compassion, there is so many different life elements, like practicing gratitude fosters compassion, or being vulnerable in the right circumstances uh, fosters compassion. Being mindful in in the right way, you know that that is part of that as well. And in so many of these different elements, you know, practicing self compassion and embracing the oneness of our existence, they all come together. Mm -hmm. And we need these reminders that help rewire our brains so that when we make our decisions, they come from a place of wanting to create solutions, win-wins, happiness for everyone. So absolutely, while there are some people who are uh, better off in their genetically by uh, in their ability to practice, be more compassionate. Mm -hmm. um, but it's something that anybody and everybody can learn. Interesting. Okay. Um, so, just since you mentioned about self-compassion, I could you just talk a little bit more about that? It just seems like a basic necessity, right, to practice compassion. What would you say about self-compassion? You know, um, there is a Buddha saying that compassion and wisdom are the two wings of a bird, one without the other, and the bird flies in circles. Mm -hmm. So I like to think that the wisdom component of compassion is self-compassion. It is the one that separates compassion from altruism. For mm -hmm. example, if you're in an aeroplane and you have these oxygen masks that drop down, 
they say the first thing is you put the mask on yourself before you put it on the person next to you. Because unless your brain has that oxygen, mm. you will not have the mental capability to help the person next to you. So it is with, compa- with self-compassion, right? Mm. If you do not have compassion for your own self, mm. you will not be able to give compassion for others. Mm-hmm. And, and this is a problem. This is where the fatigue elements happen, right? This is where people get burnt out because they are not balancing their needs and their their requirements with the needs of others. And also culturally, I guess, in many ways, we are kind of inclined to think that we need to be hard on ourselves. More than others. More than others. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. But this is where I think uh, of Kristen Neff, uh, Dr. Kristen Neff, uh, who is a leading researcher in this space, she says self-compassion is about being a good friend to yourself. And a lot of times we forget mm-hmm. that as much as we are inclined to be friend to others, we forget to be friend to ourselves. So self-compassion simply says, let me care for myself. Let me notice my own suffering. Let me see if I can look at myself without the judgments. And let me see if I can do something about it. Mm-hmm. And as we start from there, we start with our own selves. We are able to give compassion to the world. Wonderful. Okay. Um, so, Emmanuel, I want to talk a little bit more about compassion in the school system. Like, so when we work with students in a classroom, so my podcast is obviously to, to promote um, authentic social inclusion among children with um, all abilities, basically. So when we have students who are um, challenged in their social and communication skills and and, and we're trying to facilitate a good community for them with their peers who are typically developing. Um, how does compassion play in in this school context, in this educational context? How can we facilitate this attitude of compassion or this um, culture of compassion in the school system? That's such a relevant question, Savita. And, and thank you for asking that. You know, I think... The classroom is an opportunity. Mm-hmm. It's an opportunity because we have the undivided attention of so many young minds who are coming in with a beginner's mind, with openness, willing to learn. And the brains are still being molded at that time. Mm-hmm. And the teacher creates that opportunity to see the world not as a divided place, but a place of, of connection and collaboration and seeing that we are all interdependent on each other. Mm-hmm. And, and and so to go back to your previous questions as well, it's, can, can compassion be learned? I would say absolutely. And the classroom is the place to start when we have students with different abilities. If we can normalize the idea that, yes, the world comes with many different flavors and many different colors. And yes, some of them can be challenging. Some of them are easier to work with. But if we go to it with a sense of openness of heart, we will be able to see the commonness more than the differences. Mm -hmm. Um, And there are many different ways that you can do that. You know, I believe the uh, life skills, the hard skills are more important than academic skills because now knowledge is everywhere, right? Google anything and you have the answer in a second. Right, yeah. yeah. But but the life skills, they have to learn by experience. They have to experience it. Mm-hmm. They have to place an emotional component to it. Mm-hmm. So if you have a classroom with people different abilities are coming together and 
then you and, and as a teacher or as a or as a therapist whoever it is who's actually working with those children is able to say let's sit on this common table let's explore our commonalities mm-hmm. let's look past our differences let's do a, a version of meta every day you know together let's all wish each other well let's participate in activities it doesn't have to be grand things but it has these little things that the teachers can model Mm-hmm. and which the students can experiment with by playing together by doing activities together mm-hmm. and i think that's that's where people leave their biases out of the picture and then they grow up and they come to the workplace mm-hmm. these activities will or these ideas these attitudes are going to carry along so true. and i often tell my people when i'm working in 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 workplaces and organizations and i'm giving these talks i say if somehow we can teach these skills in the in the school system we would not have a need to learn any of this or relearn any of this in the corporate setting mm-hmm. so i think a classroom is a wonderful opportunity to create inclusion through compassion mm-hmm. i love it and i and i think a part of the training can also be for educators because children learn more from what they see and they imbibe the culture that they are in um not necess- not just what the teachers say but what they see happening right the 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 norms of the classrooms what they imbibe and if if the school culture is is taught to be more compassionate to be able to like you said notice when somebody is um facing challenges to feel with that person and then to um suspend judgment and to do something to take away the suffering of the other person and i think uh, that is like a great step to inclusion and and also i'm thinking about the quote um that compassion is the awareness of the interdependence of all things so when students of different abilities are in the same classroom they become aware of how interdependent they can be you know i i also remember this really nice quote that my friend once gave me in a card which said friendship is being able to tell someone i love you not for what you are but for what i am when i am with you beautiful so in a class where students of all abilities are there and they help each other the best of them comes out and the awareness that they have been the best version of themselves I think is a is a great experience for all students. Absolutely, absolutely. I I think you hit the nail right on the head. Mm-hmm. It's the emotion that you create for yourself by working with people of different abilities, and if your mentor, your teacher, can facilitate that experience, mm-hmm. I think it's a well rounded classroom where everybody can thrive. It's wonderful. So, Emmanuel, what would be your last words of wisdom for our listeners takeaways for our listeners uh i would like to leave uh your listeners with the idea that compassion is always possible whatever the circumstances we just need to have our brain wired to that possibility you know our brain is a lazy brain uh it tries to take the shortest paths to decision making so if the existing wiring is for compassionate behavior then it's it's just easy to make a decision to that circumstance uh, based on compassion mm-hmm. and the challenge to that right now is the media everywhere you see there is so much of negativity um so much of a lack of hope uh, 
but uh, that is a choice that we can consciously make to start our day with uh, positive messaging to the idea that compassion and hope are possible in every single step and then take it from there you know these micro steps as they add together suddenly change the way we interface with the world and the world interfaces with us beautiful thank you so much so i'm thinking of neurons that fire together wire together right hems law right okay so um strengthening those neural pathways that's going to think compassion absolutely absolutely make compassion your default network okay that's awesome i love it thank you emmanuel for being here with us thank you savita and thank you for having me here